Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Mother's Day to everyone in the room and joining us online. I just want to give a little tip to the men in the room or to anyone who has any control over how today goes. I really think that what the women in your life, moms or not, deserve the most today is just some peace, quiet, maybe an afternoon nap. I'm not just saying that because my husband might be listening. I really think it's what everyone wants. So I'm happy to speak on behalf of all the women. I saw something on social media this week that really described my experience with motherhood. It was a quote that said, my well-behaved firstborn gave me the confidence to be a good mom. My wild child's second kid taught me not to judge other mothers. And I immediately, of course, thought of my son, Ryland, who is absolutely the wild child of our family, who I love dearly, but who has taught me not to judge other mothers. And I got such a good chuckle out of this until about an hour later where I had this aha moment and I realized that I'm actually also the second child. So I just want to say you're welcome to my mom for teaching you not to judge other mothers. I'm so thankful that I could help you learn that valuable lesson in your life. We are in week two right now of a sermon series that is all about how to love the vill in our homes. And last week we talked about what it looks like to practice biblical principles, specifically with the people who live in our homes, like repentance and forgiveness and what it would look like to bring healing and to bring hope to our homes, something that is so important. We asked you to do a little bit of homework, so we're gonna pop that up on the screen just as a reminder. How did this go for you? Did anybody do it? Did you practice this during the week? Are you just now remembering that you were supposed to do something before you came back to church? And if you are, that's okay. You still will have the rest of your lives to do this homework. We really want to encourage you to do that because our hope and our prayer for every home represented in our church family is that we can help you understand Understand that your home is the most important ministry that you will ever have. So that's last week's message in about a 30-second summary. If you missed it, would love to encourage you to go back and listen because today we are continuing that same conversation and we will be digging in a little bit deeper, talking about how we can treat our homes as the most important ministry we'll ever have with the people who live there, but also with the people who we invite into our homes. I want to reread with you a passage of scripture that we read together last week. It's found in Deuteronomy 6, and it lays the foundation of the reminder that our home is where we build the entire foundation of our faith. And the reason that we do that is so that we can give God glory by the ways we set up our homes. So let's read these verses. This is Moses speaking. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
This passage provides for us a very clear picture of God's original design for our homes. We get this command to love the Lord your God with everything that we have. In order to truly love God with everything that we have, we have to know him really well. We don't just have to know about him and know information and knowledge about him, but we have to have a relationship with God. And it's through that relationship that we build with God that we start getting ready to take steps of obedience. And last week we talked about more heart matters of how we can work on our insides so that our actions and what we exhibit on the outside can more accurately reflect that our home is designed to give God the glory by the way that we're managing our home. And I love a few reminders that we read through this passage. One of the things that Moses says God wanted, is that God wanted us to repeat these commands again and again and again. And for some of you, you feel like that's actually all that you do in your home. If you're a parent, you repeat the same commands over and over and over again. But sometimes as adults, we need to repeat them just as often for them to truly actually become a part of the way that we are living. And here at Northeast, we call that the Love the Ville lifestyle, where we don't just think about this one day a month or this one time where we're going to love Jesus and, and talk about him. It becomes our lifestyle, where every day we wake up trying to figure out how we can unleash Jesus' love in our city, our church, our workplace, and in our homes. We have to repeat these commands again and again and again if we really want it to become a part of who we are. I love the language of this specific translation of scripture because it says to talk about these commands, talk about them. In regular conversation, in natural ways as you go about your day, talk about the importance of loving God with everything that we have. It doesn't say to lecture about them, which sometimes as a parent, I tend to take on more of that tone. It doesn't say to, to lecture. It doesn't say to hold them over somebody's head or guilt trip anybody with these commands. It simply says to talk about them. It just naturally becomes a part of the DNA of our homes. It naturally helps us develop our faith as the entire foundation of the homes that we are building. What would it look like if we could truly say that without a doubt, if somebody were to walk into my home today, they would know that the foundation of my home is our faith. Our home is where that must start. Today I want to talk to you about what it would look like in your specific home if you were to start setting an empty seat at your table all the time. Have you ever thought about inviting someone into your home, this sacred place where you are attempting to lay the foundation of faith that you have? What would it look like for you to bring somebody in along with you and the work that you're doing in your home? Some of you are extremely gifted when it comes to hospitality and you love nothing more than to host dinner nights and game nights and movies for your kids and their friends. You were born to create environments like that and we are so thankful for people like you. That describes some of you well. However, some of you are more on the other side where your home is your space where you don't really want other people to come in. You actually really enjoy being alone or just being with the people in your home. In fact, some of you believe that so much that you would really love to hang a sign like this in your house. Make yourself at home, your home. Seriously, go home. 
I know without a doubt that that is how some of you feel when it comes to hospitality and opening your door to let people in. But here's the crazy thing is that because of the last 14, 15 months that we've all had, we've spent a lot of time with just our people, our unit, our families, that even the most introverted people I know, even they are eager for just a little bit more people time, and they would love nothing more than to have a social gathering at someone's home to go to right now. But for the record, they really just want that one gathering, and then they'll be good for the rest of the year. In Luke chapter 5, we read a beautiful example, a story of Jesus' ministry. I know some of, many of you are familiar with this story, but it fits so perfectly here. In the story, we see Jesus teaching at a family's home. And he is talking about God and he's teaching about all of God's promises while he's there. And while he's teaching, the, the reality is that there are so many people who have gathered in this home because they want to hear Jesus' teaching that the house is overflowing with people. Like literally people are at the front door just trying to get a glimpse of him. They're hanging out the windows. And while this is happening, a man who is very, very sick approaches this house and he wants to get to Jesus so that Jesus can heal him. But as soon as he gets to the front door, he realizes that there is absolutely no way he's going to be able to get through all the people. And so the friends that are with him see no problem with that. And they simply are like, well, let's just go up to the roof and have you come down into the living room right at the feet of Jesus so he can heal you. And that's exactly what they did. They took their friend up to the roof and they lowered him down in and Jesus healed this very sick man. There are so many layers of this story that we could talk about, but I want to focus on two pieces of the story that I love so much. And the first is the friends that this man had. The kind of people who knew that their friend needed to see Jesus. And they were willing to do whatever it was going to take to make that happen. They saw the reality of the task that was in front of them, getting their friend to Jesus, and they said, well, let's just go up to the roof. It's not a big deal. There was nothing that was going to get in the way of them helping their friend. And I think that's the kind of community and the kind of family, the spiritual family that we all want around us. That's why we care so much about getting you into small groups and connecting you with biblical friends who will show up for you and help you remember and meet Jesus on the days when you need him most. I love the joke that talks about how, what a miracle it is that Jesus had 12 disciples because as a 30-something, the thought of trying to keep up with 12 really close friends is pretty impossible. But it's the kind of community that we all should be striving for, knowing exactly who those people are in our lives that we can turn to when we need to get to Jesus and we need our friends to help us get there. The other piece of the story that I love so much that fits so well with what we're talking about right now is the simple fact that this house was overflowing with people to begin with. Now, this tended to happen everywhere Jesus went, everywhere he taught, every time he showed up anywhere to teach, everyone wanted to, to see him. And while I think it's pretty unlikely that Jesus is ever going to lead a Bible study in our living room, I do think that every single one of our homes has the opportunity and has the potential to create such an environment that people know when they come to your home, they're going to experience Jesus because of the way that you treat them, the way that you talk to them, the way that you fill your house with love and with stories about who God is in your life. It's about the way that you set the foundation of faith in your home. What if that was so obvious to people that they were literally beating down the doors of your house in order to experience that? That might sound really unattainable right now, but I do believe that there's a simple step that every single one of us could take 
in order to make that a reality. And again, I know for some of you, you have absolutely no desire to even explore that possibility. But I think that God is asking us to step outside of our comfort zones, whether that's your safety comfort zone at home or it's your time or your space or whatever it is. We have to stop focusing on all the many ways that we feel so inadequate to use our homes as a mission field. Our house is too small. We don't have the best snacks. We buy into all these excuses when it's not about the things that we can offer. It's about the spirit and the attitude and the way that we make people feel when they are in our home. And we all have the ability to do just that. There's a passage in Romans that I want to read to you. And here's what it says. It says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So I want you to listen to this list and pick out the ones that maybe you feel most drawn to. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. When we talk about your homes being mission fields and being the most important ministry that you will ever have, this is the stuff that we're talking about. God has given us commands that talk directly about the need to be hospitable and to welcome people into our homes and to love them well every step of the way. So what are the unique gifts and abilities and experiences and everything that you have? Let's remember that all of it is actually God's. It's not ours to begin with. So what are the things that God has blessed you with that you're not currently using or utilizing in ways that help you serve others and bring God glory every time that you do? I want to share with you today a few stories of Northeast stakeholders who have found their own unique ways to do exactly this based on the gifts and the resources that God has given them. And I want you to listen and see if there's something that you can grasp that maybe you could start applying or find your own way to do exactly this, to create a mission field in your home by inviting others in. The first story I want to talk to you about is Rena Gratz. Many of you know Rick and Rena. They are a part of our church family. And if you were to drive by their home, you would immediately notice that right in their front yard is a picnic table. And this picnic table has been painted turquoise. They're not the only ones with a turquoise table. In fact, it's an entire movement of turquoise tables across the country and across the world. It was started by a woman in Austin, Texas, who just wanted to find a way to make sure that her neighbors and everyone who drove by knew that there was an empty seat ready for them. If they needed to talk to someone, if they need encouragement, if they need community, that is a safe place to find it. And I love getting to hear the stories that Rick and Rena are starting to build by hosting parties and Halloween gatherings and Easter egg hunts and neighbors just stopping by to chat and roofers who were working and came down to eat their lunch at that table. And I know the stories of Rena's table are just 
getting started. You know, most of us buy outdoor furniture and we put it in our backyard because we don't want our neighbors to stop by every time they walk by and talk to us. That's our time, right? This, obviously, this approach takes a completely different outlook on what it is that our homes are designed for. I love how Rick and Rena are living that out. Another story is of a man named Tim Jackson. Tim and his wife Paula have been a part of Northeast for many, many years, as well as their children and many, many grandchildren. If you were with us before the pandemic, you might remember that Tim used to help serve coffee before the nine o'clock service. You might remember Tim as someone you had as a teacher or a principal or an assistant superintendent out in Oldham County. Earlier this year, Tim sadly passed away. And as I spent time with the family leading up to his memorial service here at Northeast, it took about two seconds of being with them before I quickly started picking up on some very obvious themes that exist in the way that Tim lived his life on mission. And his home was one of the areas where he did that really, really well. I loved the the language that he used. He had a a beautiful home with a beautiful pool in the backyard, and he knew that that home was an opportunity and that pool was an opportunity for him to invite people into his home. And I love the the language that I'm speaking of is more than one family member said that Tim would text them in the summer and say, the pool is pristine, bring the randoms, because Tim wanted them to bring everyone they could find over to his house. But here's the cool thing is he said, bring the randoms, but none of the people who walked into his house felt like a random because Tim knew every name of every friend that his grandkids had. He didn't just know their names. He knew their stories. He was invested in their lives and he was invested in making sure that whoever came into his house felt completely different when they left his house because of the way that he treated them and he welcomed them right into his family. The family shared that one of the things that's helping them get through and face the days ahead right now is hearing from people about how the way that Tim lived his life is helping them want to be a better father or a better grandparent or a better neighbor or a better friend. And I am confident without a shadow of a doubt that Tim will always be remembered as someone who always had an empty seat or many, many empty seats at his table for whoever needed it. I wanna talk to you right now about the children in our community who need that empty seat at your table. Uh, You might not know this, but May is actually Foster uh, Foster Care Awareness Month. And in the state of Kentucky alone, there are almost 10,000 children in the foster care system. And if you look at this graph, you can see that over the years, the number of children in the foster care system has consistently been increasing year after year after year. But what has not increased quite as rapidly is the number of homes that are available where these children can find a safe place to land. So I wanna share with you the stories of two Northeast families who have found their own unique ways in the ways that God has called them to address this issue and this need in our community. Jamie and Keith McKinney are a part of our church. Jamie is our new early childhood director. And in 2014, they decided to become foster care parents, foster parents. And they specifically got involved with Orphan Care Alliance. This is an organization that has a program specifically for single parents, most often single moms, who are doing everything that they can to help their children stay in their biological homes. 
So what the safe families do is they come alongside those single parents and step in in ways that they can to care for the children for an evening or for a weekend or for days in the summer so that the parent can focus on getting things in order like housing and finances and relationships and recovery, all the things they need to grow and do better at so that their children can stay in their homes. I loved how Jamie talked about this one story of a, a little boy that's been with them um, for over five years off and on. He has stayed with them from time to time. And just next week, they're actually getting ready to keep this little boy again while mom has surgery. You know, for most of us, if our life hit a crisis or a difficult season, we have friends and family to turn to. That is not always the case. And so families like the McKinney's can step in for just short-term amounts of time to help serve these families well. I love what Jamie said about how this has affected their entire home and their biological children. She said, our entire family has been able to share the love of Jesus so easily and in our own home, which is even better. I can see the positive impact it's had on them and their love for others, especially those who may need a little extra love and hugs. Keith and Jamie have found their own unique way to have an empty seat at the table when God brings a need to them. I also want to tell you about the Bryant family. Jace and Jennifer Bryant are foster care parents. They are respite care parents. And they had already been thinking about becoming foster parents. And then one day they came to church, probably not assuming they were going to leave with such a big challenge. But while they were here that day, Tyler preached a sermon that reminded them that as Christians, we were never promised a comfortable life. That's just not part of the gig that we're after here. So that very day, they went home and they decided to become foster parents. Their very first placement was a four-day-old baby named Dallas, who is now their adopted son, who will celebrate his fourth birthday this week. And since welcoming Dallas into their home, they've kept their home open for respite care, which is a relief for foster parents. In particular, they shared about a story of a sibling group of four who had been divided into different homes in different counties, and the Bryants simply opened their home on the weekends to give these siblings a chance to still stay together and stay united as a family as often as possible. Now, I can promise you that the Bryants were not just sitting around with absolutely nothing to do, looking for a way to fill their time. They were a busy family already with a lot on their plate. They simply said yes to the, the idea and to the possibility of bringing someone else along on the ride that they were already on. My watch has been listening to me, and Siri just picked that up. I apologize. <laughs> Here's the thing. They got a call about a year ago, and they were asked to take in a 17-year-old young lady who had hit a rough part, rough patch in her life, and she really needed a safe place to land. And this week, Jace said that that yes that they said to welcoming her into their home was one of the best yeses that they have ever said. This young lady is now, she's graduated from high school, she's working, she's been an amazing big sister to the children who were already in their home. She's actually getting ready to welcome her own child. And so Jason and Jennifer will become foster grandparents as they welcome a newborn baby into their home here in a little bit. I imagine that five years ago when they began this journey, they never could have imagined the journey that God was about to take them on, but I'm willing to bet that they have absolutely no regrets because of the ways that God has used that empty seat that they set in so many different ways. 
Now, these stories that I tell you, I'm not telling them to you to say, hey, look what they did, go do exactly this. I'm telling you these stories so that you can start thinking about how you are uniquely gifted and resourced and experienced and qualified, whether you feel qualified or not, you are, because God has given you everything that you need to simply open the door and figure out who needs that empty seat at your table. No one's asking you to do everything, but God is calling us to do something. So what is your something going to be? It might not be a picnic table or a pool. It might not be bringing children into your home, but what is the thing that feels easiest or most attainable? You know, it's not always going to feel easy. In fact, if it feels easy, it's probably not as much of a sacrifice as God asks us to make. Because as the Bryants said, it was never supposed to be comfortable, our life as believers. That's never what we signed up for. He asks us to make sacrifices. And when we do that, when we open up our hearts and our lives to allow someone else in, God actually steps in to that empty space in our hearts first. And he gives us everything that we need in order to show up for others really, really well. What is the empty seat that God is asking you to make at your table and who is going to fill it? Home is where we always have an empty seat at the table. Our homes should always be a place where we talk about heaven the most. More than anything else that we talk about, our homes should be filled of the joy that we all feel when we think about heaven and what that will be like one day. So if you live uh, with your children or you live with your parents or you live with roommates, do they know that that is something that is important to you? You know, when we think about our houses and the places that we live, we have these to-do lists, right? Because we have, our, home, our houses are made of shingles or bricks or there's landscaping and there are more projects than we will ever be able to get done. And I know that because I see the parking lots at Home Depot and Lowe's every weekend. We are all very focused on those to-do lists. But those houses are going to be there long after we are there. And we have to-do lists that are just as long on the ways that we should be working on the internal side of those homes. What's happening inside the homes? What is the foundation that we are building for our faith? Those things are just as important as all those cosmetic things that we tend to focus on so much. Our homes should be a place where we talk about heaven the most. If you're a parent in the room, I want to talk specifically to you for a minute. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. No greater joy. You know, every time I see a child or a young person in the baptistry, I am always overcome with emotion every single time. Because as a parent... It's a very um, important step in the responsibility that we have to make sure our children reach that place in their relationship and in their journey with Christ. It's not the end of the journey. If, If anything, it's actually only just the beginning, but it is a moment that is filled with so much joy. And I can't imagine the joy that fills you in that moment as a parent. But as a parent, we have been given the responsibility of helping our children follow the truth. So how are we doing at modeling that in our homes? Do we always follow the truth in all the choices that we make? Do our children know that the truth, being the Bible, God's word, do our children know that that is the driving force of everything that we do? Do they, do they know that every decision that we make is done to make us more like Jesus, to show that love to other people, and to bring God glory every single time 
we do it, do our, do our children know that's where we're headed? Do, are we able to ignore all the distractions that come our way, all the attempts of the world to get us off track? Are we more influenced by the decision that the parents of our kids' friends make? Or do our children know that the cross is the center of our homes? And do they know that without a shadow of a doubt that is obvious to the people around us or would they have to guess before they'd realize that? As parents, part of being able to follow the truth is making sure that our children are involved in some sort of community of faith. So I want to talk for just a second about our church attendance and participation. I think over the last year or so, as a parent, to be honest, it's been a little hard. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And that season when we were at home, it was a little crazy. And we would turn on church, and I loved being in my pajamas and being able to just wake up with my family at home. I'm a preacher's kid, so I literally have never in my life been home on Sunday mornings. And I love that season of our lives, but the truth is that when it was just our family at home, it was really easy to turn on church, they would do really well through the worship, and then as soon as the message would start, the kids were riding their scooters around the living room, and I was just doing my best to stay focused and listen to what was happening. And to be honest, we didn't always watch the kids' services, which is not something I should admit to you as one of your pastors, but we got really comfortable And it was too easy to forget about how important that environment is for our children. So I might step on some toes a little bit, but if you are a family who were coming in person to the Brownsboro campus before the pandemic, and you haven't come back yet, or you haven't plugged your children back into our children's ministry areas yet, what are you waiting for? I know that for me, Nothing will ever be able to replace how I feel when I'm in this room, when I'm worshiping with my church family, when I look around and I see familiar or new faces, just any faces at all that remind me of why we're all here to begin with. And I can tell a difference in my children and in what they're learning, even though we're doing our best to model these things at home, when they're reinforced in children's areas that have been specifically designed for children their ages, That is something that can never be replaced by a comfortable morning in our pajamas at home. And to be clear, if you are a part of our online campus and that is your home base, that is a vital ministry that we will always believe in 100%. So if that is how you're doing church, keep doing it. But if you're still at home and it's not because you're scared of COVID and you're still concerned about that and it's simply that you've gotten a little too comfortable, what's it gonna take to get you back in the building? Because that's where we want you. And that's where your kids will see and learn and will meet their peers, their child, your children and your students will meet other kids who are experiencing the same things in their homes, where faith is being modeled and they're being pastored by their parents and they can finally get around other kids and look at those kids and say, really, your mom says that too? I thought it was just me. There is nothing that will ever replace the, be, the, your children and your students being around their peers and being around other adults who will pour into them and invest in their lives in ways that you could never imagine. No matter if you have young children or your children are 50 years old, our job as parents is to help them follow the truth. How are you living that out, both in your homes and in your relationship with your children? Because we have been tasked with modeling this for our children for the rest of our lives. Talking about heaven is one of the best ways that we can do that. Nothing will ever replace the opportunity that we have to talk about scripture with our children, to talk about Jesus, to pray with them, 
to remind them that when the darkness starts creeping in, Jesus is where we find the light again. That is our responsibility as parents and as people in general to talk about heaven, to make our homes a place where we can't talk about the joy that we have in Christ and the excitement that we have to one day be in heaven without talking about wanting all those people there with us. But the truth is, if we're not intentional and we don't have a plan for any of this, we're probably not gonna end up inviting people into our homes. We're probably not going to end up remembering what the foundation of our homes is, which is our faith. And we're probably not gonna end up making sure that home is where we talk about heaven more than we talk about anything else. And that's why we've got these playbooks. Don't overthink it. It's an opportunity for you to challenge yourself and think about the tangible ways that you are taking next steps when it comes to unleashing Jesus' love wherever you go. Have you ever entered a home and no matter where you looked, on every wall, on every shelf, everywhere you looked, there's like an inspirational phrase or quote or Bible verse or just like full of them everywhere you look. And I know you know what I'm talking about because you all have at least one in your home. I know you do. Do those signs and do those pretty little plaques, do they give you the burst of excitement and energy to live that out every time you see it? Because for me, when I see the sign that says gather in my kitchen, I really just think about all the dust and the mess and the clutter that is gathering in my home. And I don't always immediately think of what could happen if I really gathered in biblical community around that table. What are the reminders that you need to see on a daily basis? The passage we read at the beginning in Deuteronomy 6, it actually told us to do this. It said to write these commands on our doorposts and on our gates of our homes We have to have things that are going to help keep us focused, help us have an intentional plan, because if we don't, things simply will not happen. So what is the reminder that you need to see every day to help you stay focused on treating your home as the most important ministry that you will ever have? So today, I'm going to give you a little more homework, and this is something that you should work through with whoever you live with, whoever's in your home, if it's just you You need a mission statement. If it's a family, you can sit down and talk through this together. Here's a place to start. You don't have to start here. But what is your mission statement going to be about how you will love the Ville and love others well in your home? Here's a simple sentence. In this home, we love the Ville by whatever it is that your home does really well or whatever it is that your home needs to step up a little bit and do just a little bit better. Here are some very simple examples. In this home, we love the Ville by laughing a lot, supporting each other, always speaking kindly of one another, collecting moments, watching for the lonely so you can invite them in, cooking way too much food so you're forced to invite people in, asking the hard questions. What does your home need to be focusing on right now to help you stay focused, to help remember that your home is the most important ministry that you will ever have. Rachel Held Evans said this about heaven. She said, this is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry, because they said yes, and there's always room for more. Is there always room for more at your table? That's the kind of table that we're all attempting to create. We're all a bunch of oddballs and outcasts. That's what my home is full of. But we're so hungry for learning how to follow Jesus better. And we're so hungry for finding unique ways to invite people in. That's the kind of home that we're trying to create throughout our entire church family. What's the foundation of faith that you're building in your home? How sturdy is it right now? 
What do you need to change to make it as effective as possible to give God the glory every time you do? Let's pray. God, you have given us resources and life experiences and so much love and you're so eager for us to pour it out onto others. And God, we have been um, thinking of lots of excuses just because of our circumstances of why we don't always live this out to the best of our abilities. God, help us to remember that you have created us in unique ways and you've given each of us the gifts that we need in order to serve you well and in order to build your kingdom and give you the glory every single time. Help us to remember that every day when we wake up, we have an opportunity to live this out and to unleash your love wherever we go. It's your name that we pray, amen.